0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess. Every week I bring a guest in to talk about all sorts of gaming-related topics, from how to create a character to actually running a game, and what it all means to people who share our favorite hobby. This week, we are talking about safety in games, and I've brought along my dear friend Al. Would you like to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Al?
1: hi um i am l owls i love gaming um i've been running games since i was 13 and accidentally found a copy of vampire the masquerade in a borders um and that kind of was the beginning of the end uh i currently am running and writing Uh, freeform LARPs, as well as trying to encourage people into story games because I believe that it's really exciting when you can get other people to experience different cultures and situations through gaming.
0: Now, before we really jump into our big topic at hand, you in particular have introduced me to a couple of games that I probably wouldn't have stumbled upon on my own. In particular, uh, Dream Askew and Nahual.
1: Yes, um, so Dream Apart slash Dream Askew, of which my favorite is Dream Askew because I am unapologetically and angrily queer, and so is the game. Um, Those are written by Avery Alder and Benjamin, and I can't remember his last name off the top of my head, I'm very sorry. Um, And Dream Askew is what happens when the apocalypse is happening around you and all of you and your queer friends have decided to build an enclave um, to protect you and to keep you kind of in a community during the apocalypse. And it's about finding community and space and safety and role playing out the drama and the questions that that brings up like when is violence justified and what does it mean to have a community, what does it mean to have psychic privacy, things like that. And it's just so fun and you get to have such interesting experiences Uh, and each game is completely different.
0: I tell you, I've played it with you once, and it was probably the most unique role-playing experience that I've ever had, because it starts off very blatantly, like, you are all queer of some kind, and you know, in in my day-to-day life, I am a wee bit of that myself, but never to the extent where it's particularly visible, and the visibility of it is a major part Of the theming of that game like you cannot escape that you and everyone around you is let's say adjacent to society at large
1: yes uh one of my favorite parts of the game is um it's sort of a powered by the apocalypse hack in a certain way but it's diverged um in certain really remarkable formats But one of the things in the character creation section where it says, you know, choose your eyes, choose your look, choose your hands. One of them is choose your gender. And if I recall correctly, at the top of my head, there's only one character skin that has anything that is traditionally binary. Everything else gives you options like Raven or Gargoyle or Dagger Daddy or High Fem or Hard Fem or Ice Fem. There's nothing that's like you can't play a man, a generic
0: man. Which I think is fantastic, because it it really encourages you to get outside of... You know, for many of us who do follow along what would be considered the gender binary... It kind of... It takes that... uh, It takes that assumption away, and it makes you think about, like, Okay, no, what does gender actually mean in this context?
1: Yes. Um, I didn't like the gender binary as a human so much that I just opted out of it completely. Uh, so I, I identify as agender, um, which is one of the other reasons I really like this game, just because I get to see so much of myself represented in it. Um, one of my favorite genders in there is Dagger Daddy, and I was reading the book itself and the example they give in there is in the uh, theoretical play section where they're like, Well, I'm identifying Dagger Daddy like it's Denny Trejo, but he likes giving hugs.
0: I love that with every ounce of my being. But... Go ahead. Let's assume there are some folks out there, and this is my way of segueing into our topic, who might look at something like that and think, hmm, there are aspects to things that this could bring up that make me uncomfortable. Like, you know... There are a lot of people who associate queer spaces and different gender identities from what they're used to with eroticism, which is not a good way to look at it necessarily, but it is a thing that people do, and they might assume if you're going into queer spaces and stuff like that, there's going to be sex happening, and they don't want that. Unfortunate for them. But... If you're one of those people who's like, you know, I don't really want to hear about actual depictions of sex in my fun beat-em-up role-playing game, how do we accommodate that for people?
1: Well, they've come to the right place because I actually don't like having all-out graphic depictions of sex in my games. And I actually don't really like even going near it. I'm okay with alluding to it in my games, but generally what I want to do is not anything at a table with people that focuses on actually having sex. Um, if I want to do that, I will do it like in the bedroom and I will politely invite people back there. Um, one of the first things I do at my tables is when it gets to the point of kind of saying, okay, well, first off, like way step back, getting people's buy-in is really important. Uh, for a game like Dream Askew, you have to get, make sure that everybody who's at the table knows exactly what you're playing. So you don't get people to sit down to be like, oh, we're playing a bunch of gay people. This is not what I wanted.
0: Yeah, they probably shouldn't be in that game in the first place.
1: Yes. Um, but for something like maybe monster hearts, where that sort of thing isn't quite as apparent, having an initial, hey, everybody, welcome to the table. Here's who I am. Here's the game we're playing. Here's some of the themes it brings up or the things that it touches on is super important because that lets people tap out early on, or it lets the GM and the group be able to manage their expectations going forward.
0: Managing expectations is an incredibly important aspect of getting together a new group, or even, like, coming into a slightly different situation with your regular group. I know, for my own sake, I've been playing with one particular group for about four years at this point, and we had a session recently where things took a turn for the sexy, and the description of what was going on got a bit much for me... And I'm generally one of those people who's like, I'm fine with most things as long as it's not like sexualized violence, because that's icky. But this just kind of, it approached my line. Speaking of lines. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) That is one of the fun safety tools
1: you can use. And one of the ones that is, I think works very well for um, both tabletop and LARP things where you have... Um, either you're sitting at a table with people or you're acting out, you don't necessarily have the chance to like tap out for everybody. Lines and veils is a really useful tool. Um, I'm trying to remember who, I think Emily Care Boss is the one who initially like set it down. Um, Basically it's here's a hard line or here's a thing that we're gonna draw a veil over. So in my games, a hard line is we don't have any sexualized violence at the table. We are playing elf games. There are dragons. We can believe in dragons. So I get to have a world where there is no rape which is great. Like, it just does not exist in my games. Perfect. That sounds like a damn good world. Right? Dragons and no rape. Uh, So no sexualized violence. It is a hard line. If you even start approaching it, I will make sure you know that that's a thing you're doing. And if you continue to press the issue, you are done. You are out of my game. Leave.
0: And that honestly is incredibly fair I think if you have something where you have agreed upon beforehand, where it's like, all right, we're not going to touch this thing, and you do anyway, it is well within the rights of everyone who's there and has agreed on that particular line to say like, hey, you're breaking one of our very few rules, please leave.
1: That was something that actually is kind of the supporting tool to literally all of this is if you're the one running the game or if you're one in the game who's like, you're part of the social contract, you have the ability and the power to step back and say no i'm not playing this no this isn't cool and i think it's your responsibility specifically as somebody who is running the game to recognize that that is a tool in your wheelhouse and you can say we are done with this you are done you have to leave because i know when i was younger and running games i didn't necessarily feel like i had that ability because i was young and i was femme and like there are all these old dudes who you know air quotes knew better about gaming And I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like I could necessarily stand up to that. And now, A, I know better. And B, that's complete bullshit. This is your game. You're the one running it. You do what you
0: want. Well, and the expectations placed upon someone who is running the game is something that we've talked about on this show a lot. Because I tend to fall into the camp of, like, if I'm running a game for you, I am there to facilitate your good time. Uh, like, I'll have my story that I'm trying to tell, and I'll have all of my plans that I've laid out, but I think because of my background as an improviser, I am very willing to adapt if my players want to go a different direction. But that has to go hand-in-hand with knowing where everybody's limits are, and knowing that at the end of the day, if you're running the game, you are in charge. Yes.
1: Um, And so that's kind of, you know, setting down that. So here's the line. We don't cross that line. Something else that's really useful with that one that I found is, yes, people are not surprised when you say there will be no sexualized violence. This is a hard line. Um, But coming up with something as the DM to also say, like, here's my personal thing Um, for most of my games. This is the one that they throw out. And it sounds really silly because most other people are not bothered by this in the context of role-playing games. I am so uncomfortable when people do stuff in open water that's underwater, because where, what if sea monsters eat you? And it just, <laughs> it's silly, but it unsettles me so much that I don't want to run it in games. So that's the one I throw out for my other line. Like, no, no rape, but also like, let's not have sea monsters because they scare me.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, recently, I you know, I talked about this on previous episodes, but last summer I broke my arm, and ever since then, thinking about the actual mechanics of breaking bones makes my skin crawl. So, like, that's a new line that I have. Maybe more of a veil, because, like, if you're doing a violence thing, it's fully understandable that somebody could be like, yeah, you get hit in the arm with a club, and guess what, it's broken. Yeah. But don't tell me like, and your bone juts, nope, I can't even say it myself. Yep,
1: and that's one of the things that's a little bit verging closer to a veil, I think, um, where you get to kind of say, hey, here's the thing I'm okay with being in the game, so for your case it'd be, I'm okay with broken bones. But let's not really get into frank graphic discussion. So one of the things in my games, sexual content is fine. It happens behind the veil. The waves, you know, screen fades to black. The waves crash. The fireplace crackles. You see the bare skin rug. And then it pans back to the two of you in bed with the sheets half covering you. Like, that's what happens. It is a veil. We don't see it.
0: And I think for anybody out there who is trying to figure out, like, the hard difference between the line and the veil, that's that screen fade- oh my god, I can't talk. Screen fades to black is a really good way to think about it. Like, the veil is the thing that you cut out to keep it PG-13 or whatever. The line is not even in the script to begin with.
1: That is a really good breakdown of that and phrasing that I will use going forward, because I just like explaining things in really long detail
0: and sometimes the really long detail is good but other times people want to keep it uh brief fair um so yeah that's kind of lines
1: and veils and i think that's one of the ones that's a really good starting point for a lot of stuff because it gets people talking about and thinking about what they want to see in their play and that's something that i think a lot of people have never had to consider or never been asked to consider
0: that's something that we definitely see with the um like the very insulated I'm gonna say, like, homegrown groups that don't really venture out into the gaming community at large.
1: The ones you hear about who have been playing with the same DM for 20 years and we're all very impressed about it, but, like, how have you been doing that? Exactly.
0: Because if you are in one of those situations where you're in one of those groups, you've probably never really had to think about what anybody who's not in that group actually thinks about gaming or content in general.
1: Yeah, as we've seen lately in some of the discussions in the greater tabletop community uh, sort places where you get to talk about stuff, um, there are a lot of people who play one way with their groups and don't really consider what it looks like outside of their groups. And I guess that's fine and fine in air quotes if that's all you do. But if you take that attitude and you bring it to a convention, then that's where things start getting hairy and where these safety tools really come into play.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about another one of these safety tools, uh, because lines and veils is one of those things that you kind of set up beforehand, but if you didn't realize that something was going to come up, and, like, let's say you are terrified of carbon monoxide poisoning, and you have a character who gets locked into a car, and the exhaust is running in, and it's like, oh, I didn't think to say that this is bad, That is where something like the X card can come into play. Yes.
1: Um, X card is really
0: good for tabletop, not quite as good for LARP because you can't necessarily
1: see it. But X card in this case, cut slash break or script change would work in this kind of situation. Um, X card is the immediate default you literally have on your table, an index card or some sort of printout that has an X on it. And you tap it or you hold it up for the DM or like you somehow indicate that this is what you're doing. The game stops. And then you kind of revise what's going on, and you continue. Um, But the X card is the default, like, panic button, this needs to end right now.
0: Yeah, and I I like that you brought that in with cut and break, because, you know, for my own case, I don't do a lot of LARP, so almost everything that I think about in relation to this is centered around the table. But if you are in a situation where you've got multiple people walking around a room, calling out cut or doing the hand gestures that can be associated with that. I saw one description that was like, make an X with your arms above your head so that everyone can see that.
1: Yes. And that's useful in as much as you are able and willing to stop play. Um, Smaller versions where you can kind of like hold your hands up, you know, fast forward and rewind and pause, kind of give you small hand gestures you can do. That works much more immediately one-on-one. So if you're in a larger LARP with say like 15, 20 people, not everyone's going to see you if you hold your hands above your head, but the person in front of you is going to, um, and they can help you kind of manage that.
0: Because at the end of the day, all we really want is for everyone involved to have as much fun as possible.
1: That is hopefully the goal. Um, As I'm sure we've all seen in those stories that we all have of, you know, the first tables we played at at conventions, not everybody I think is on the same page as that, but in the same sense that you're going to run into people who are not, um, Invested in other people's well-being, or safety, or fun anywhere, so.
0: Oh, man, that's... So, I I had written down a couple of questions that I wanted to discuss specifically, but you've just brought up one that, similar to the example that I just used, I hadn't thought about before, and that is... How do you handle someone just not caring... Like, if you set out your thing that you don't want to deal with or your thing that you cannot play and somebody just fucking goes for it anyway, and let's say it's your GM, like you're in a con game and they're just like, oh, no, I know you said the thing bothered you, but I'm going to do it anyway. What's your option there?
1: Yep. Uh, Unfortunately, if it's your GM, I don't think you have a lot of options. I think your best bet, as shitty as it is, is to leave. And it's unfortunate, and by unfortunate, I mean really awful, that the onus is on you to keep yourself safe in that situation. Because one would hope if you said, hey, let's not do some carbon monoxide poisoning, your DM was like, so I'm trapping you in this car anyway. Um, That's on them that they suck, not on you. But there's really no good way to deal with that unless you're willing to make a huge scene. And you shouldn't have to do that either.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I've, I've seen that sort of idea codified as a the door is always open policy. Ah. Which, generally speaking, we hear that phrase and think, ah, the door is always open. Come on in. But in this particular case, it is the door is always open. If you have to leave, just fucking do it.
1: So that's actually my favorite use of the door is always open. Um, That is literally my favorite tool because... It kind of encapsulates the idea that this game is a game, you can come and go as you please. And I hope if you need to leave, you leave for any reason. Um, Go to the bathroom, we're all adults, you don't have to ask me, I'm running the game, whatever. Go smoke 16 cigarettes, I don't care. Leave if you have to call your mom, if your kid is calling, whatever. If you're having a panic attack, feel like you can walk out and feel like no matter what you can come back to. I don't ever want you to have to justify why you're leaving or that you're leaving because that is something that I don't necessarily need to know. Um, I don't want you to feel like you have to like pull your guts open and give me all of your trauma to justify the fact that you're leaving if I'm bringing up carbon monoxide poisoning. That's not something that you should feel like feel obligated to tell me. Um, But I also do want you to know that I like you as a player and I want you back if you're okay to come back.
0: And that really does touch upon one of the specific questions that I had, which is what do you do if you don't want to draw attention to your own issues? Like if
1: yeah that one um hits yeah, near and dear tight. to my heart uh yeah, short story time yeah short story time um i was in a larp once and the way the characters were written one of the characters was specifically and pretty much no matter what was going to happen was going to try to engage my character sexually um that happened in a larp with physical gestures in a way that made me dreadfully uncomfortable and because the way it was situated i'm you know if I tapped out right then people would know why I tapped out, which is because I'm a survivor of sexualized violence. Like it's pretty clear in that situation, why that would have happened. Um, part of that is that particular group didn't feel safe to me to have that moment where I could have said, Hey, I'm tapping out now and not have to worry about any fallout from that. Um, yeah. So in that case, it's, it is. un. No matter what the onus is probably going to be on you to do so that being said, kind of the flip side of the doors open is pay attention to the other people around you because there were six other people in that LARP and any one of them probably should have also stopped that going on and they could see it. So there's that. Um, The doing it in a way that doesn't draw attention to your own issues is never going to be easy because depending on when you need to tap out, there's always going to be that bit of, Oh, here's obviously the instigating factor, but if you're at a table that's laid down other safety tools, it's gonna to be a lot less weird if you're using them, if everybody else has already been informed of what they are, as well as maybe practice them for the game. Um, I try to get my players before a LARP to at least say a couple times out loud, pause altogether, even if it sounds stupid, you've used the tool once, you've used the tool twice now, now you can do it. So it's it's balancing between your own safety and hopefully the guidelines that your GM has put into place.
0: And it's really good to break that stigma around it. Because I think everybody, well, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of players have this fear of interrupting or of ruining the game or of breaking other people's fun. But like, you're one of those people. If it's not fun for you, you're ruining your own fun.
1: And I know that on my end, um, if I'm running a game and I found out later that somebody had to tap out or wanted to tap out and felt like they couldn't or didn't tell me, I would be gutted. I would be so upset that something that I did affected somebody that badly. I try to write my games in a way that that won't happen, but I can't guarantee it because I don't, I can't uh, plan for every single scenario that's going to come up. And I would be horrified if I had hurt somebody that badly.
0: On that note, I think it's also very important that after, you know, after a session is done or after a game or a convention, if you did feel that but you weren't comfortable saying something at the time and you go away and you think man that was like 4 weeks ago but i really want to say something so it doesn't happen next time or doesn't happen to someone else unless you are in one of those groups where people are just awful and then in that case please stop playing with that group yeah no game is 9 times that game uh, no like no 9 times out of 10 your gm wants to know how best to facilitate your fun.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if you had a bad experience in that game, your GM might not know that that was a scenario that got written in somehow or that was going to happen, and they can take it out going forward. It doesn't necessarily... It isn't... The onus is not on you to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But if you feel comfortable sharing, your DM probably wants to know so they don't have it happen
0: to someone else. Absolutely. And I think the places we see this happen a lot are places like you know, your internet-based platforms a la Reddit or even gaming groups via via things like Roll20, but it's also a lot of conventions are kind of notorious for not being particularly welcoming spaces. And a lot have been working on that over the last few years, but there are, let's say different entries along a very broad spectrum of how well things like safety and anti-harassment policies have actually been included and advocated for.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for the geek community in how it does welcome people um, from all sorts of backgrounds, from all sorts of walks of life, from all sorts of ability to interact with their humans. Um, And there is also a bit to be pointed at sort of the geek social fallacies where people's bad behaviors kind of swept under the rug because, you know, we were all nerds. We were all made fun of for something because we were nerds and that's occasionally conflated with actual bad behavior. So Hmm. it's that, and then taking that kind of background and trying to make it into safety tools and build safety tools around both of those perspectives makes it difficult.
0: I think there is... Because of the whole geek social fallacy thing, there's a lot of pushback to what people see as someone trying to ruin their fun. And you get that conflated a lot with the whole, like, SJW thing among certain groups, but there are people out there who, you know, they grew up reading, like, Conan the Barbarian or H.P. Lovecraft, and to them something like weird misogyny and blatant racism are just par for the course in these kinds of fictions, and when we get them into convention centers or Reddit threads, they're not typically thinking about the way that people who don't have the same experiences handle things like that. So I, I would just ask you, if any of those people are out there listening, what is the one pithy thing that you could say to them to kind of try and make them rethink those aspects
1: oh one pithy thing to say to people that think racism is fun in games um the short version of my games would be get out but <laughs> uh, i think that's fair i right like I, I don't know at this point in my life if you are coming into my games and you're in a convention setting and you want to run some racism in my games i'm going to shut you down really really hard there's no reason whatsoever that you should be doing that but I guess the pithy bit for people who are legitimately in good faith trying to, you know, get their, get their gaming groups to walk that stuff back. Huh. Probably angling for not necessarily even inclusion because at the point where you're having fun with your casual misogyny, um, inclusivity is probably not your top priority. But maybe doing it as a... Uh, Re recognition of priorities. Um, or I suppose, like, what are you having fun with in this game? And being able to redirect it might help. So it's probably not the casual misogyny you're having fun with. It's hitting stuff with swords and running around like your Conan. So angling your game towards maybe something like Swords Without Masters. Swords that master singular or plural? Um, uh, I believe it's singular. Swords Without Master, where it's. The casual misogyny isn't built into the game. It's the storytelling aspect of hitting things with swords like your Conan. So being able to walk that back might help. Um, but yeah, I'm not entirely sure what to say about that one specifically.
0: Yeah, I kind of dropped a dropped a big bomb on you there.
1: Yeah. Honestly,
0: it wasn't a question that I'd been thinking about before the episode. It kind of just came to me and was like, huh, what do we do in that situation?
1: I know for casual sexism I'm a little bit more versed I think but like there's there's not a lot of range I think between calling people in who are doing it because they literally have not really thought about anything different and people who are doing it because they are on that side of being a bad actor and are willing to make people uncomfortable right like we all mm-hmm. know as much as it sucks and as much as it doesn't make a difference for how it affects you but there is a big difference between somebody who is being casually sexist because they've read the Conan books and because that's how they think that gaming should look, and somebody who really doesn't think that people who aren't men are worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that difference between the person who wants every woman in the game to be either Red Sonia or the blushing bar wench, and the person who's like, wait, there are other options? You mean the princess can carry a sword? Right. When did that happen?
1: Because those people, you can kind of walk them back with you a lot easier. And you can say, hey, you know, when you only refer to the women in the tavern as wenches, how do you think that makes the other women at your table feel? And you can kind of get them to go, oh, shit, you're right.
0: Presuming that there are actually women at the table.
1: Yeah, I forget sometimes that there are groups that have Uh, only men and only straight people.
0: Yeah. So, I'm gonna take a huge pivot right here. Not necessarily a huge pivot, because kind of does touch on everything we've been talking about, and not really discuss, but point out that this episode is going to come out on February 19th. Like, about a week after this fairly major thing in the gaming community at large kind of exploded on us that had been boiling over for, as far as my research has been able to tell, like, six or or five or six years at this point. Uh, And, like, I don't want to go into real specific details, but... A public figure known as Mandy Morbid published a very extensive post uh, about another public figure in gaming known as Zach Smith or Zach Sabbath or just Zach S, and kind of kicked off a major scuffle in the gaming community about how we treat abusers and allegations of abuse and people with power.
1: Yeah, there was and- a lot
0: that happened with
1: that specifically in the last week or so.
0: Yeah, and, like, the extent of everything that happened is why I don't want to go into too much specific detail, because, like, there are other examples that have come along right with it. In the anime community, which is also part of the convention community, there's been a lot of backlash recently against Vic Mignogna, uh, pretty prolific voice actor in the American anime scene because of allegations and... It's kind of weird to call them allegations when there's extensive photographic proof of him, like, giving unwanted sexual contact with convention goers, some of whom were not necessarily of age. But if you don't Uh, say
1: allegations, then everybody hates you forever.
0: Well, yeah. But what I really want to touch on are two basic questions with this as the people who are not involved, but are in the community. The first being, how do we handle allegations of abuse? That's super rough, right? Like, no matter where
1: you come down, it's difficult to recognize that somebody that you might have respected and known and loved is capable of hurting other people. And you have to reconcile that with the fact that statistically, even if you do not believe the person who is necessarily accusing your friend, statistically speaking, they're not lying. Um, False Mm. claims are... Of sexual assault, rape, harassment are the lowest of any reported. Like, you are more likely to be falsely accused of robbing somebody than you are to be falsely accused of sexually harassing or sexually assaulting somebody. So keep that in mind throughout this whole discussion if you're listening. Um, In terms of how we handle them, swiftly, I guess, uh, there's it's up to individual conventions or individual groups, right, exactly how they want to handle it. But with that in mind, it's probably worth, like, at the very least, cutting the abuser's access to your resources, to your community off while you figure out what you're going to do or while you figure out exactly how to
0: take care of the victims. I think that's a it's a very measured response, which is necessary in times like this, because at the end of the day... Whether or not someone actually did the horrible things that most of us are pretty sure actually happened. If you push them away and investigate and it turns out like, Ah, you know what? This is that one in 99 times where it was all made up and it was all a lie. You can always welcome them back. But it is very hard to push someone out who you have already said, hey no, that thing, that's fine.
1: Yeah, and I know that was completely just off the cuff. It's closer to like, I think one in a hundred thousand, just putting that one out there.
0: Yeah. Like, it's... I, I have looked up the statistics a while back, not recently, so like, can't speak with any authority, but it's astronomically low how often these things get falsely reported
1: one of my pet issues and most false reports are not actually false reports they're ones that are in air quotes unsubstantiated which means that people who investigated couldn't necessarily find any concrete evidence of that having happened and in most cases with convention sorts of things that's what happens when you drink a little bit too much and you go back to somebody's room and they do things you didn't want them to do and that's kind of what that looks like right but yeah that being neither here nor there i appreciate the fact that you said that was a measured response because i mean that's like my that is the measured response my actual response is cut them the fuck out and never talk to them again
0: well and that's kind of what a lot of the community has been saying and when i say a lot i mean the vocal subset that i am attached to because a lot of the community has been saying i don't see the big deal what's going on i like the dude's Art and writing. Uh, And to those people, I say, Hi, why are you listening to this show? How did you get here? (laughs) Who shared this that you're listening? And are you rage listening? Are you going to send me horrible emails? Because bring it on. Send them to me too. Yeah, I'll forward them. Thanks. Um, My other question. And this is kind of the bigger one as far as most of us. Because... Let's be real, very few of us will ever be in the position where someone alleging abuse against us or someone we know will be handled by anyone other than our very close group. Uh, But, is it okay to keep playing games that people we deem persona non grata are attached to?
1: Good question, and context dependent right at this point if you've bought something by this notable public figure that we are talking about the money's gone the book's on your shelf you could throw it out if you wanted to and if that will make you feel better you can hide in the attic if that'll make you feel better running it at conventions i think should be a not okay thing because that means you are still giving kind of airtime to that particular uh creator's works in ways Mm -hmm. that might you know encourage other people to support that person and i think at that point there's you know there is no ethical consumption under capitalism uh but there's no way to ethically use a game in a public setting that a person who has abused somebody has made without giving that person airtime. in your home I game think- that's it's up to you i guess i can't decide what you're going to do in your living room with your four friends that you've been playing dnd with for 20 years Um, But if nothing else, consider having a really long conversation with your group about what happened and what that means to you guys and see if that's something you want to continue doing.
0: Yeah. And I know that's something that my group has been talking about fairly extensively, at least among those of us who have been either willingly or sort of forced to because of the podcast that they run to stay in the loop on these things. Uh, one thing that I learned was this particular figure was a, I mean, it was credited as a consultant on D&D 5, which is a game that I otherwise really love playing and really love running, and it's got me reconsidering, like, okay... I have already spent the money on all of these books, and it's not like he's in there as a writer. But the main writer has not necessarily, like, come out against things and has kind of issued non-apologies, which just complicates things. And it's one of those situations where I don't have an answer. And I'm-
1: I wish that there were like a clear-cut way to do this, right? Um, The day this yeah. comes out, I will actually be having this conversation with my one of my D&D groups because we play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. And I'm going to have to sit down and explain to them, A, what happened, because none of them are as invested in the hobby as I am, so none of them have any idea what's going on. And mm. we're going to have to see how they feel about it and whether or not I still feel comfortable running this game for them.
0: It's one of those things that we don't really get into this hobby to think about stuff like that.
1: No, but... I got I got in because I liked... Well, honestly, I got in because uh, Vampire the Masquerade was the first book I had ever seen that somewhat represented mental illness in any sort of sensitive way. Oh, yeah. Masquerade was good like that. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best, and looking back on it, they could have done better, but it's the reason that I have a giant Malcavian mirror tattooed on my chest.
0: Which is... Dope. I have seen that tattoo, and it's fantastic. Thanks. Hey. We've been going for, like, 40 minutes, uh, which is kind of against the new format that I have been wanting to take with Season 2, and since this is the first episode of Season 2, I think that's fine. It's the Flex episode, right? Absolutely. This is the one where we sort of figure out the new digs. But... Now that we've talked about, you know, going back a little bit, safety rules and the ways that we can help everybody feel more comfortable at the table or in the LARP or at the convention, I want to talk for, let's say, like five minutes about ways that we can integrate that specifically into our games. And a lot of it is fairly straightforward, like, you talk about the lines and veils beforehand. You lay out the X card. You create the gestures for cut and break. All of that stuff. But. What does a game that's built with that in mind actually look like?
1: A game specifically built with that in mind. Um, I'm sorry, do you mean like a system or like that, you know, you're all sitting around and your GM sets it up?
0: Uh, both. I want to see where that prompt takes you and then we'll talk about whatever the other side of it is
1: that's fair um well i think there's kind of a balance in a lot of the games that magpie has put out and then also like i was talking about in dream apart dream askew dream askew and dream apart are very specifically built with these tools in mind because they recognize that there's going to be content that might make you uncomfortable and not in a like oh no i have to examine my pre-existing stereotypes and prejudices but like this is something I can experience as a human in real life. And this is distressing to me. But they also recognize that that's built into the game in a way that lets you explore it um, and hopefully safe environments. So what that looks like is a session zero, no matter what, right? You sit down with your players, you sit down with the rest of the group and you say, here's what we're into. Here's what I wanna run. Here are the themes I wanna explore. Um, in Dream Askew, you all create your characters together, which lets you talk about the options you've picked, which lets other people theoretically veto things you've done. Um, one of the characters, the uh, the Iris, one of their relationships can be my submissive. And that's something that I can see certain groups nixing. I personally don't think I want to see BDSM related tropes in my queer games at the moment. That's just something I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so being able to sit down and have that session zero is really important and being able to talk about step-by-step step, the bits that are important to you in gaming, my D and D group that I will be talking to on Tuesday. Um, we talked about session zero, and we, I, you know, in a very, in a much less emotionally charged kind of way said, what do you guys want to see in gaming? And they talked about it for probably about an hour. And it kind of came down to, they want, you know, this sort of game in this smaller region, they want to have investment in these sorts of things. They want it to be less political intrigue. But it's doing that exact same thing just for stuff that we're emotionally invested in.
0: That is so exactly what I was hoping you would say, because I love the idea of the Session Zero. I love when it is properly implemented. And it can be anything from like, hey, we're going to take an hour before we start this game and figure things out and create our characters. But it can also be its own actual, like, say you meet for four hours on Monday nights. If you want to take a four-hour-long Session Zero, that's awesome.
1: If you have the time in the group to do it, I think that's the best way to do it. Because, A, it lets you all chill out and get used to a new game, a new system, a new setting. If you're doing a Session Zero, it means that there's a new game of some sort happening, right? So you can sit down and you guys can kind of go over, Oh, here's the new character classes we're playing in D&D 5e. Or here's the skins we're picking for Monster Hearts. Or I want to play a Bruja this time in Vampire. And it also lets you go over the safety techniques. Um, and in that vein, it lets the person who's going to be running the game or facilitating the game set up the expectations, kind of the boundaries, the, the framework on which you're going to build the game.
0: Do you think you could do a session zero after the game has already begun? Yes,
1: I think that it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, session zero because it's not zero anymore. But there's nothing there's nothing wrong with taking a moment to pause your game and saying, hey, I think we're going off the rails, like people either aren't happy, or I'm not conveying something or something's going wrong. Let's talk about what doesn't look right to me. And let's talk about how we can either pull that in. And sometimes that's going to be the DM saying, you guys aren't biting any hooks. What am I doing wrong? And sometimes that's a player going, I'm really uncomfortable, and I'm not having fun anymore because of XYZ. Like, if anybody is feeling like they can call that, I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And minorly, from a Session Zero perspective, I think something else that you can do to set up pre-existing safety expectations as the person running the game and facilitating them is, like I said earlier, bring your own perspectives into it. You can say, you know, here's my line no sexualized violence, but like here's this other silly thing.
0: Get your players used to feeling like they can use those tools. Because being able to feel like you can bring it out with Anything that bothers you is important because you won't use it if you feel like you're the only one who's going to.
1: And you won't use it if you feel like you can't use it for something unless it's deathly serious, right? Like, unless there is sexualized violence happening in a game, I can't say I'm not okay with it. Like, no, I'd like to be able to step back and say, hey, can we not um, in Cthulhu have teeth growing out of places? Teeth don't go because that makes me feel gross. Ugh right
0: yeah just just the thought of that is like
1: uh, ah shivers down my spine i did not know i didn't like that until somebody sent me a picture of it like two years ago i'm like well here's a new thing i'm putting a veil on
0: yeah that's i feel like cthulhu is a really good one to set things up like that because you never really know what sort of horrific nonsense is going to come out
1: i find horror games. Really specifically, people go all sorts of, like, bonkers in, and there are just surprising levels of, oh, we're we're suddenly being really racist, why?
0: Yeah, see, not being a horror person, like, the only horror game that I really enjoy playing is Dread, and it's because I really enjoy the mechanics of that game, and the horror is kind of just a fun little side note. And I would never touch on anything that was, like, too out there? Yeah. But I don't know, maybe that's just me.
1: No, there's certainly levels of, you know, you can do certain kinds of personal horror. And I think uh, one of my very good friends runs a lot of Dread Games through his company Windmill. And he's done an awful lot of very accurately historical settings. And he does them with incredible sensitivity and tact and hmm. a lot of research. So going into it, you know, it's going to be as accurately represented as you can get around a table in, you know, four hours. But it also means that there's less likely, um, if, if you fuck around, he's going to swat you.
0: Which I think is completely valid. And hey, also valid is ending the episode because we are out of time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It has been an absolute pleasure. Before we go, is there anything that you would like to say or plug or shout out?
1: I don't have a SoundCloud, and my Instagram is just a picture of pizza. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, I am uh, L Owls on Facebook for some reason. If you want to send me the angry responses there, or if you just want to talk about gaming, because I am always up for talking about gaming.
0: And as always, you can send in your questions, or comments, or concerns, or suggestions for topics to dodecapodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast dodeca. And, as always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.